Well, there are a lot of things that we have differences about in Hong Kong. I don't know how many languages are spoken here. Maybe 30 or 40 different languages, maybe more. Lots of different food. You can find almost anything here in Hong Kong. We live in different places. Some people live off in the village houses and some live in tall towers with flats. But there's one thing that we all have in common, at least I think most of us do, and that is we go through the airport. Seems like there's many times we end up at the Hong Kong airport coming or going. Matter of fact, I'm looking forward to going to the airport tomorrow as my wife comes back home. She is uh, in uh, the Philippines at the Kamakop Women's Gathering, 3,000 women in one place, and uh, she's getting to enjoy that ministry, and she'll be coming home tomorrow. The passage of Scripture that we're looking at, and by the way, I just want to remind you, there's a couple things you're going to need for this service. Um, if you have your bulletins, that will help you. There's also a page in there that will help you with notes. Because what we're doing during this time at AIC is we're looking at the life of Christ in chronological order from the time his ministry started until, we'll see how far we go with this. Um, um, but uh, we're looking at, we're at the very beginning, towards the beginning of his ministry here, and looking at where Jesus went. Now, something that you'll find in your bulletin is it lists the scripture for today, because remember, there's four Gospels that all tell a part of the story of Jesus' ministry. And so we'll be sharing a little bit of scripture from different Gospels, sometimes all four, sometimes only one, sometimes only three but this week's scripture is in there, and if you want to get a head start on next week, we list the next week's scripture in there too. So you may look at that. And what we find here is Jesus is returning home. Um, you, uh, the, 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 the key scripture that we're going to look at is the Mark chapter 2 passage that Jimmy read for us, but there are other scriptures also. Jesus is returning home. He had been in the south. He had been up in Jerusalem, up on the mountain in southern Israel. He had gone down there for the Passover. And we find out that he had done a number of things. Um, when I was preaching two weeks ago, we had the wedding at Cana. Jesus visits John the Baptist, baptizing along the Jordan River. We have uh, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night. And on his way back, uh, Jesus goes through Samaria. And there could be some other things that happened that aren't recorded, because between the time that I preached two weeks ago and today, nine or ten or eleven months have gone by. So we're covering in just two weeks. Now, Henry helped us out a little bit last week, getting um, a little bit of the, the portion of what's going on um, in between there. But it's close to a year goes on until Jesus comes back north to his hometown. Now, there might be a town there that you recognize, um, Nazareth, being a key place in the Christmas story. This is Jesus' home area. 
And we have Jesus coming back to, to Galilee, the Capernaum area, the Sea of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And so before we get to chapter 2, where we look at this uh, passage with the uh, paralyzed man, I want you to take out your Bible. Uh, you can do this on your phone, your tablet, whatever you have with you. Um, I still like a paper Bible for some of this survey things because I can look at more than, than one part at a time. But we're going to take sort of a 40,000 foot view. When you're flying long distance, the plane gets up high, 35, 40,000 feet, you can kind of see what's going on. We're going to go real fast through some of these passages here just to see a little bit of what's going on. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record these passages. So sometimes you can learn a little bit by reading one of the other ones. Um, but Mark keeps it in the most concise portions and also has it in what we believe to be chronological order. And so in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, we see that they went to Capernaum. That's the verse that I read at the very beginning of the service. Jesus went to the synagogue, and what happens there is Jesus is teaching. There's a, a man who's possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus drives him out. Just a, a few verses here, and Jesus moves on. Um, he goes to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And this may be where they stayed while they were uh, in this area. But they went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. She was ill, and Jesus touched her. And what happens is then the whole town starts bringing their sick people to him, and Jesus heals many people, it says there. Drove out demons and heals many people. So just two very quick incidences where Jesus is ministering to the masses, to the crowds, and Jesus is getting a reputation for who he is and what he can do. And people are excited because Jesus can heal people. Jesus can drive out demons. Jesus is providing the answer that so many people are looking for. And it is interesting then to see that the next place we find Jesus after just pouring himself out in ministry is Jesus is in prayer. Spends time in prayer. His disciples found him. And uh, then the ministry starts again very quickly. We have a man with leprosy that Jesus heals. And then we get to this story of the paralyzed man. And that's where I want to stop for just a little bit to see what's going on here. Jimmy read this passage to us, and we can see what God or what what Jesus is doing but let's look a little bit closer at this story Jesus goes to Capernaum Capernaum is the largest city along the sea of Galilee Jesus goes there and because of what Jesus has been doing in these in this time while he's in that area he is famous and people start coming and crowding into the town just floods of people that want to see Jesus. He's very popular. And you'll notice also that religious leaders come too. Apparently people know where he's going. The story centers on this paralyzed man. We have all these other situations going on, but the story centers on this paralyzed man and his four friends. 
You see, his four friends somehow got the word that Jesus was in town. And they said, we have a friend. He's been paralyzed since birth. He can't move at all. And by the way, sometimes I have the opportunity to share this story with children. Teachers, if you ever have the opportunity to share this story, this is a wonderful story. Because you try to get the children involved in the story so that they can feel what it's like. And you know what it's like teaching children. Sometimes they're all over the place, climbing on the chairs, climbing on you, doing all kinds of things. And so I love when I get to this part of the story, and I tell the children, do you know what it means to be paralyzed? And they're and I tell them, that means that nobody, that the man could not move. He might have been paralyzed from the neck down. Now let's all practice what, it, what it's like. And the children will just sit there. And it's kind of fun for a few minutes as you do it with the children. But when it's been going on for your entire life, it's certainly not a situation that you want to enjoy. And this man's friends saw that there is a solution to the problem of being paralyzed. We have heard that Jesus can heal people. Now this is, this is something that they could substantiate because they had seen that Jesus healed people right in their own community. They had seen the results of Jesus doing it. This is a faith that they believe Jesus can do it, but a real trust knowing that he can. It's a faith similar to what we have when we go to the doctor. Now we may not, many of you know my wife was a nurse back in America, and I kept telling her, there's nothing that you do in that hospital that I want people to do to me. But sometimes I need it. (laughs) And so when I need it, I go. Because I know it's the best option, the best possibility for being healed. And these friends knew that Jesus had healed other people. We're certain he can heal our friend. And so this story goes on, and and it's, it's kind of this unique story, because you have this famous Jesus preaching. We know nothing of his sermon. But we know that these friends carried the paralyzed man to the house where Jesus was. And they see there's no way we're going to get him in there. There's no way we're going to get past the crowds of people that have already come into that house. They're probably hanging out the windows. They're, 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 they're just, the place is filled. I find it interesting to, to know who's in that house already. You notice the religious leaders, they're already there. They found their good seat, and they're going to listen. They're going to see what Jesus has to say. We want to find out what Jesus has to say. We're going to come back to them in just a little bit. But the house is full. And so what they end up doing is they go up the outside stairs onto the flat roof, and they start tearing the roof apart. I've often wondered what that would be like to be speaking in a room, and UGC or somebody up there starts jackhammering out the ceiling here, 
It's, it's not going to happen without a little bit of dust. I mean, they didn't have a concrete roof. They probably had a thatched roof with mud and tiles and things like that. And can you imagine all the stuff that starts filtering down? It, it would be quite a disruption. It would be worse than a crying baby in the service. Jesus is teaching, and there's this stuff going on above. Now, those men had to calculate where Jesus would be, because if they get the hole in the wrong place, they're not going to lower this man down in front of Jesus. And so they get the, they get the roof open, and they lower the mat down with the man on it. And Jesus makes the statement, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, as Jesus had done so many other times, he said just the wrong words or right words. (laughs) He said the right words, but to some people he said the wrong words. As Jesus very carefully chose those words, because remember what's going on here is he's starting to reveal who he is. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus showing his glory at the, at the, uh, the wedding at Cana. His disciples learned about his glory. And the masses of people had learned that Jesus has power to heal. But there's still a very important lesson that needs to be taught here. And that is that those healings are not just for the sake of the healing. It's for something that we can learn. And that is that Jesus can forgive sins. And so, it's kind of provocative what he says. But Jesus knew what those religious leaders, remember they're all in the room. They, they already got in the room. The man who needed in the most had to get around the people that didn't need to be there. And so, Jesus says, in the hearing of all these religious leaders, your sins are forgiven. He even says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or, take up your mat and walk? I used to think about that. Let's see, how many words is one? How many words is the other? Are some words harder to pronounce? Is that what Jesus is getting at? Is Jesus getting at which sentence is easier to construct, which words are easier to say? No. But if you think about it a little bit, you see, he'd already told many people to get up and walk. He'd already shown that he can heal people. There were many people healed as Jesus went through Galilee here. His reputation had preceded him. And it becomes very obvious if you are healed. If you can't walk and now you can walk, you're healed. If you can't see and now you can see, you're healed. If Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, how do you know? How do you know? It's somewhat easy to say, your sins are forgiven. Because the skeptic could say, how do you know? 
But Jesus coupled with that statement of your sins are forgiven, He coupled with that statement the act of healing which demonstrated that the sins were forgiven. It was not just in easy words to say. It was action that went along with it. Jesus brought this person to wholeness because his sins were forgiven, demonstrated by the healing that he had, that he could not only walk, he could get up and carry his mat and leave. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is wanting his disciples, his followers, his people to learn some important lessons. And that is that Jesus has power to forgive sin. I'm excited by that. And so the result of this is that it became known that Jesus can forgive sins. It's an important lesson for his disciples to learn. But also to the religious leaders, this is the same as saying, I am God. In the Old Testament, the Jews knew that only God could forgive sin. Only God could forgive sin. So someone who said that, who was not God, would be blaspheming. Would be speaking an untruth. Would be condemning himself. And so when Jesus made this statement, it was the same as saying, I am God. I am with God. I am part of God. And God forgives sin. And so Jesus takes this whole series of events that have been happening in Galilee and takes them down from all these individual healings, uh, casting out demons, um, these different events that people are so excited about, and he brings it down to one core point, and he says, you need to realize that I am God. I can forgive sin. And so what we want to look at, just a little bit here, we, we had the account of what went on. We want to look at what's the challenge. What's the challenge here for us? And I think that challenge can be seen as we look at the different groups of people who were present for this miraculous event. I think there's basically four groups. Two have a rather negative take on it, and two have a rather positive take. The first response that I see here is a condemning response of the religious leaders. They're condemning what's going on. There's nothing new that they're going to learn in this event that they hadn't already learned from Jesus' time healing and driving out demons elsewhere. Jesus' reputation had preceded him. Jesus' reputation was very evident. They knew what was going on, but the religious leaders were in the way of what was going on. Now, the religious leaders did have a very valid part to play. One of leadership's job is to be sure that there's not heresy or improper things taught 
in the church. And that's why I'm grateful for the leadership that we have. Thank you for our under-shepherds. I've got one on each side here. (laughs) Watching what's going on. And one of their jobs is to be sure that we're teaching the truth. And I'll start getting messages. And we'll be having meetings if I'm not teaching truth up here. And our leaders need to do that. But these leaders were different. They had created lots of laws and were trying to actually trap Jesus in what was in, in this situation. And they were not ready to accept the truth. They were really condemning Jesus and wanting to find a way to condemn him. Jesus has about two more years, a little over two years of ministry going on, and we know where this ends up. It ends up at the cross. And these condemning leaders are some of those that, put, that condemn Jesus to the cross. Now, another group of people that I find here are the curious. And this is by far the largest group that's here. They had seen what Jesus had done elsewhere, and they're waiting for the next show. I mean, you don't have the internet, you don't have cable TV, you don't have your phone to play on, you've got to watch for what's going on in town, Right? There's a new teacher in town. There's new miracles going on. This is exciting. There's something going on. They're just curious. I like the fact that they let their curiosity drive them to Jesus. They're not in the condemning crowd. But they can't let their curiosity just take them to the next attraction. They need to let their curiosity take them to Jesus not away from Jesus. And so curiosity is the beginning of the stage of starting to follow Jesus. People are interested in following Jesus, finding out about him. They need to have information. They need to get to know him. They need to know who he is. So curiosity can be good, but it has to be taken beyond just the curious. What we find next is we have those who are coming to Jesus, those who are coming in great need. Sometimes it's the needs that drive us to Jesus. Needs become opportunities to minister. I love so much my my brother and sister Henry and Joyce. They meet people with tremendous need in Africa. People who cannot see. And those needs become opportunities to minister. Each of us can take those opportunities when there's someone in need, or we are in need, to come to Jesus. These friends were convinced that they could find Jesus, and Jesus would meet the need. And so the man who was paralyzed, I'm not sure how much say he had in it. He can apparently talk, but he can't walk. He could have protested. He could have said, no, no, don't, don't embarrass me. What could be more embarrassing than, than opening up the roof and down in the middle of this famous teacher, this mat comes down after all the dust has come down. be like a major renovation job. Some of you have been in those kinds of things. You want to wear the dust mask. Everything's going on. And you're going to embarrass me by coming, by coming down in front of all these people to see why the religious leaders, the whole town, is going to know that I'm in need. But he came anyway. 
He knew that Jesus could heal him. Then I look at the four committed friends. These four committed friends that laid it all on the line to take their friend to Jesus. It takes that kind of commitment to join God in what He is doing. We need to know that Jesus can provide the answer. Jesus can be the one that provides the healing and backs that, uh, provides the forgiveness and backs that up with the healing. What I see going on in this passage is that it really comes down to the question of, uh, it really comes down to how you answer the question that is at the core of this passage. Who has the authority to forgive sin? There's basically four answers here. What's your answer? You see, there were the condemning religious leaders that were hostile. And there are people in our world today that have all kinds of questions about who Jesus is. I watch some of the apologetic YouTubes and the question and answer times that people like Ravi Zacharias have. And sometimes you wonder if you could answer every question that they have. And they realize that the Bible is true and Jesus is real. Would they believe? Would they commit their lives to Christ? And some of them have actually said no. I have no more questions, but I'm not willing to commit to Christ. And I think these condemned religious leaders, I don't think there's anything that Jesus could have done that would have changed their minds. Their minds were already set. They were wanting to go their own way because as soon as you admit that Jesus can forgive my sin, then I have to understand that Jesus is truly God. If I can excuse the sin, if I can say that sin is not really sin, and I'm just born that way, it's a habit, it's something that I do, there's nothing that I can change. You see, then there's no sin and there's no need for Jesus. If there's no need for Jesus, we don't need a Savior. And so we'll rationalize it away so that I can feel good. I did that. You see, I grew up in a church where they preached the gospel. I went to church nine months longer than what I am old because I went to church before I was born. I heard all the stories, I heard all the teaching. I'm convinced that two years before I committed my life to Christ, I could have led somebody to Christ because I had all the facts in my head. But I didn't have Jesus in my heart. We had a pastor that would ask us to raise our hand if we were interested in coming to Christ. And I used to sit there with my hands under, my, under myself. I didn't want one of those hands to accidentally go up because the pastor would see it. See, I knew it all, but I wasn't going to admit it. I wasn't going to admit that I had a need. So I know a little bit about what they're talking about. And then there's the curious. Are you going to keep Jesus at a distance? 
Let's watch the spectacular. Let's come for the show. Church is a place to be entertained, isn't it? They should have comfortable chairs like we do here at AIC. They should have good music like we have at AIC. They have an entertaining speaker. I don't know if we have that here. Um, And church is for me. I'm curious about what's going on, but it's really just an amusement or an entertainment. If you keep Christ at the distance because of that, you'll never get to the point where you realize that He has the power to forgive sin. And we have people coming in desperate need. We have the prayer requests. We have people that we know. And we see God working sometimes in those situations. It's amazing to see. And then we have the committed who are convinced in following Jesus Christ with their life. Not perfectly. We're still human. But we're committed and we're following Jesus. And so I want you to think about this question. What does it come down to? Originally, I titled this sermon, Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And then I realized I need to change the title because it's really a question. It's a statement in the Bible that Jesus has authority to forgive sin, but it really comes down to a question. Who has authority? Am I going to retain that myself or am I going to turn my life over to Jesus? And that's the question that you need to think about. Who has the authority in your life? Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for these opportunities where we get to see Jesus at work. Jesus working in these miraculous signs, miraculous situations where people are quite literally healed. One's laying on a mat and then able to jump up. Father, it's just amazing what you can do. And we have those opportunities to see you at work here in the body of Christ at AIC. We have the opportunity to see you working in our lives individually and within our families. And the testimonies that we give say that you are truly God. Lord, I pray that as a congregation, we may understand what it means to follow Jesus, to to give you the authority in our lives. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.